the Danes, um, when you turn 25, they throw a lot of cinnamon at you? <laughs> That's like the ultimate cinnamon challenge. <laughs> Welcome to The Fluent Show! Hello, hello, hello! And welcome to this podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hey there! My name is Kirsten Cable and I am from fluentlanguage.co.uk and in today's episode I am so excited because we have got a wonderful interview that we have been hoping, dreaming, talking about bringing you for, I don't know, half a year at least. It's with one of my favorite podcasts and one of Lindsay's favorite podcasts, The Linguistics Show, Talk the Talk, all the way from Australia. So today you're going to hear a five-way interview. Kylie and Daniel and Hedvig from The Talk the Talk Show sat down with Lindsay and me and in fact, they interviewed us as well. So there's another secret second part to this podcast, which you can hear on the Patreon feed for Talk the Talk. You can find that at patreon.com slash talk the talk. In today's interview, you will hear Lindsay as well. And just in case you're completely new to the podcast, Lindsay is Lindsay Williams from lindsaydoeslanguages.com, my long-standing, long-suffering, long-contributing and always cheery co-host of the podcast. We both are language crazy. We have learned over, I think, 14 languages between us and we're always happy to share our insights and our tips with you. Now, there's one more little job to do before we kick off, and that is to tell you about our wonderful sponsor, and they are making waves at the moment. This episode of The Fluent Show is sponsored by Drops, <laughs> the playful new language app. Drops is the new way to learn a language that combines short, engaging wordplay with mnemonic association. In this app, every single word... Every single character is beautifully illustrated and pronounced by a professional voice actor. Native speaker, bien sûr. There are over 31 free languages to choose from. And Drops is not just a pretty interface. Still a joke I like. It's also super productive with its selection of 2,000 words that cover 90% of everyday word usage. So it's worth giving Drops a go. The average Drops session is actually five minutes a day. So this is perfect if you want to build that language learning habit and get that contact goal that we so often talk about. Drops is available for all iOS and Android devices. And they even have a special app for anyone learning a different script. And the app is called Scripts. To try our sponsor Drops today and play with your words, look for Language Drops in the App Store or in the Play Store or head to languagedrops.com slash fluentshow where you're going to get a 40% discount on the Drops Pro membership. And I can tell you, I've got one. I'm doing Chinese almost every single day and it really is helping me out. Now I can say I drink coffee and I don't like coffee <laughs> although i do like coffee so don't forget to go to languagedrops.com slash fluent show after your free trial to get a great deal on this award-winning language app it really is one of the most beautiful apps i've ever seen it's worth it just to have a look 
Now, no matter if you're a new listener to the show or you have been listening since episode one, please also take just five minutes, tap the link in our show description or go to fluentlanguage.co.uk slash pod survey and tell me your thoughts about The Fluent Show. I have created a short survey. I only do this once a year and it doesn't run for very long, but I do want to hear your voice. So if you've got the chance, the opportunity, please don't forget to just take five minutes and tell me a little bit more about yourself and your thoughts and ideas for what you like, what you don't like, if anything, and how you want The Fluent Show to go forward in 2019. So dear listeners, I hope you're ready. I hope you're as excited as we were getting on the line, getting on Skype with Talk the Talk, this wonderful linguistics podcast. So today's episode is going to be not so much about learning other languages as about how languages work and what makes a language a language. And the linguists, professionals, authoritative voices are going to also tackle that age-old dilemma of is it a language or is it a dialect? And they've got some really interesting new insights that I had never heard before in this way. So look forward to Ask a Linguist lots of questions from you, the listeners, submitted on social media, Instagram, I am at Kirsten underscore Fluent and on the Facebook group, which is called Fluent Language Learners and by email, of course, Kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk. On to Talk the Talk in Australia. Well, this is only one of the most exciting things ever because I'm not only here with Lindsay, but I'm also here with Talk the Talk and almost the whole Talk the Talk team all the way from Australia. Hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> so we have been long-term fans of your podcast we absolutely love talk the talk Aww. and it's a very interesting match to ours because you guys are linguists so if you could give us a maybe a short summary of what talk the talk is all about and how it's different from something like the fluent show perhaps also we are hi i'm daniel um we are the only show that does a breakdown of here's what happened in the week in language. I don't know anybody else that does that. That's that's true. That's not all we do, but um, that is one of the things that make us special. So we do, oh, this is Hedvig, I should say as well. <laughs> um, we, we do cover sort of linguistics news that um, are actually research news as opposed to, um, what other news could we be covering? Yanni and Laurel. Know. But we, we cover sort of <laughs> uh, Yanni Laurel. We did cover Yanni Laurel as well, though. <laughs> Everyone has to. It was obligatory. Otherwise, you weren't allowed to call yourself a linguistics podcast. But sort of research news. Um, and we also talked to a lot of research. I guess the research focus is maybe the thing that makes this a little bit, a little bit different. Because mm -hmm. there are other shows that are a little bit similar out there. We don't focus so much on um, the etymology of certain words um, or specific English um, language history. Um, it it does come in sometimes but yeah is that i don't know if that's a fair summary of our show we're also broadcast on community radio here in australia which is a little like i think npr over in america not too dissimilar so it's uh by the general public who wish to volunteer and do radio so our show is broadcast at 11 o'clock every uh morning on rtr fm on tuesdays and that enables us to have live segments as well which is something you don't often get in podcasts it's usually all completely uh pre-recorded so we have 
parts that are pre-recorded, parts that are live, and regularly interact with the public via email, phone, and um, you know social media in regards to the questions that they've had about the show almost immediately after the show has happened. And we try to keep a lively sense of the show, not only on social media, but on the radio station as well. And, oh, by the way, this is Kylie. G'day. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie, who's he's been in our live episode, so if you were listening in episode 100, you will have heard Kylie do magnificently on the Fluent Show quiz. I was very surprised by that. I was absolutely shocked. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. well, your trophy's in the post. Oh, good, good. Uh, just being absolutely floored by winning <laughs> at all or even answering one question, question correctly uh, is, is a triumph as far as I'm concerned. So thank you very much, Fluent Show. Do you guys go live all over Australia? No, just Perth. Just Perth. Oh, there's still, how many people is that re- list, like reaching with a linguistics message? That's really, <sighs> that's crazy. It's it's about 200,000 estimated within this state. Uh, the show is also available if you wish to listen to it live via online media. So if you click on the show whilst it's being broadcast in this town, you can listen to it live wherever you are. And we occasionally do have people, for example, uh, both Daniel and I do other shows on RTRFM, so like uh, music shows, for example. We might volunteer and do a late-night music show. For some time, I used to do a late-night music show, so from about 1 a.m. till 4 a.m. in Perth on Sunday morning because it would be afternoon Mm. on a Saturday for Americans. So I would have American friends Ah, emailing me what they wanted to hear whilst they were running around on a Sunday afternoon whilst whilst I'm playing at half asleep at one o'clock in the morning in in my hometown. We have people like in Texas and in Washington, D.C. who have listening parties because it's the evening for them. So that's lovely (laughs) to have them. I actually have a a great tip, I think, for listeners of The Fluent Show. There's a website called radio.garden. And if you go there, you get a big globe. And then you get all the radio stations, regular FM stations all around the world. I think almost, almost, I don't know what all of them are, but like a lot. And you can zoom in on a specific location and dab on the little dot. And then you can listen to everything that's being broadcasted right then at that wow, moment. radio.garden i'm gonna have to put it in the show notes it's it's really cool um i use it sometimes when i'm just like oh because I, I listen to swedish radio on podcast in um, you know later but sometimes i'm like oh i wonder what's on right now or uh, i wonder what's on right now in samoa and i just like tune in and you can do that with um uh rtr fm in perth as well wow that's that's super cool, really cool. have you heard cool. of global breakfast radio Oh, it's no. a, a website that finds wherever it's morning time and plays you no matter where you are. Yeah. And then they find you a radio station from that time zone. So you're always getting breakfast radio. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where. <laughs> Most radio stations probably don't prefer that you listen this way because they can't really keep track of you. So using an, using their app or their website or the FM bound is, is sort of considered preferable. Oh, that's the... A random station in Australia just turned mm-hmm. on on my phone <laughs> from Radio Garden. <laughs> so we have had we have got this this big opportunity. I feel to talk to research linguists, which isn't something that the Fluent Show regularly does. Like we do, we don't bring researchers on the show. Maybe we should, but there's only that much you can do, right? So we've, we've collected a bunch of questions for you. And Lindsay, if you haven't got any other questions, 
we'll we'll shuffle over to the ask a linguist ones or is there something you wanted to ask talk and talk that i forgot i've got a great first question here from astrual ivan on twitter and what determines the prestige of a dialect within a language are prejudices involved on this i think it's all about politics and power and who's got the most money and who is oppressing the others the most it's boring answer maybe Uh, i was gonna say (sighs) i I was gonna say skin color um yeah one of the words of the year well, we do a word of the week every week, and one of the words of the week this year was um, not nanny state, but au pair state. And um, it was describing a situation where politicians, members of parliament in Australia, will intervene to keep maybe French-speaking or German-speaking nannies in the country while they are simultaneously imprisoning women of color in you know concentration camps which is what Mm. which is what they are in Nauru and and other pacific countries Mm. um and you know we see this over and over again i was also thinking of um that we we talked about this on the show a while ago i'm not sure what the status is right now but the council of strathfield in new south wales uh, made a rule that they passed a resolution about signage you know there's this uh in strathfield about more than half of everyone speaks another language besides English at home. So it's very multicultural and there's lots of foreign language signage on the shops. Well, they passed a rule that if there was foreign language signing like Korean or something, it had to, you could only have it if it said the same thing that the English language text said. And also Mm. it could only be, what was it? 30% the size of the English text. Like you're going to have somebody with a, you know, measuring stick Uh. or something. But, I took a look around Google Street View and there's, you know, Michel's Patisserie and there's Il Trattorio. <laughs> you know, I don't know for sure, but I will just about guarantee you that nobody is giving them any crap about their foreign language signage. And you know, the only thing I can think of is, well, there's, a, there's one reliable factor here that connects these two. I wonder what it is. Hmm. So I think that, you know, race is definitely one of those things if we're talking if we're talking dialects as well i think it's important to talk about class mm. for example here in australia i really like the the broad australian varieties as as they're called the the ones that are less from standard less similar to sort of rp or british english or whatever um but a lot of friends i have who speak those varieties are a little bit ashamed about it even even friends who are linguists so i i have some friends who are who are linguists who are sociolinguists i.e. they work on variation and dialects. Wow. And when they say something in broad, in what people call broad Australian, and I go, oh, that's so lovely. Say that again. I love the way you speak. They say, oh, no, don't, don't tell me that. Mm. Oh, I feel so ashamed. <gasps> and I go, Lord, this this is so ingrained. This stuff is pervasive. It's so, and and, and like if, if a social linguist can't feel proud and happy about their variety that they speak, then, you know... <laughs> All hope must be lost. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> and it depends on also on the community and how differently they fight for it, right? Like we see this with, uh, it, and then the, the sense of shame again, because I know in Germany, some of the dialect groups wouldn't fight for their language rights because they feel they are so far away from the standard that it's not like, like the, there's, there's this sense of like, oh no, I don't speak well. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just tearing the the... The community apart 
Um, I actually learned a lot about British dialect from watching a fair bit of BBC panel shows. I don't know if they do this intentionally, but they do seem to take some sort of effort. Hmm. I think it is intentional. It, it must be, right? Because they have... Um, I like think so, Rob, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Ross Noble, who speaks with this uh, Jersey. Hmm. Uh, it's Jersey, isn't it? Um, and then they have people who speak fully Manx and lots of other English varieties. And watching those panel shows has taught me a lot about understanding various British dialects. And I think it's a great example of sort of embracing that diversity and like putting it um, at the forefront. Um, when I watch it with my my mom understands English perfectly, but when I watch like QI with her and even even if it's someone fairly understandable, like, I don't know, Lee Mack or something, she just turned to me in Swedish and asked, what what did he say? Like, <laughs> she she does not follow it at all. So I guess it is complicated. It is complex, but I guess the, the things that provide prestige are, you know, social class, race, history. There's a lot of things mm. that go into this. I think the, the misconception yeah. that's good to get out of the way that I, I, I don't think this is what a question asker meant, but it's important to say is that it's by no degree anything to do with the languages actually being better. Mm. Like, um, yes. there's no language that is going to be better in every way for expressing every kind of thought. I would argue that Swedish is better for expressing certain kinship relations. Um, it's pretty cool. As, um, uh, but that's just me being a bit silly. There are languages that do even more distinctions than, than what Swedish does. And it sort of swings and roundabouts. And where someone does distinctions, someone else lumps it and the other way around. Um, mm. And it's the same with dialects. And it's really easy to start thinking that one of them is better, either sounding better, which is just, that is just aesthetics and class and race and prejudice and politics coming into it. It's no language necessarily sounds better. And then the other mm. thing is the idea that they have sort of better grammar or semantics. And that's also <laughs> just a waste of time. Would you say also, I think there's something to the idea that language, when we say dialect, a dialect is beneath a language because it's within a language as the as the question yes. says you know it's kind of seen as yeah. something smaller or less than yeah even without any of the things we've just discussed would you say that comes into it as well people have a tendency to call dialects only the things that are not the standard and not realize that the standard or received mm. pronunciation or whatever queen's english is also a dialect they're all dialects um I, I, I tried I tried expressing this one time in meme format. You know that meme with the guy who's like really getting an epiphany at a party? <laughs> Sudden Clarity Clarence, I think right? is his name. Yeah. Do you know which one I mean? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And I put something like that moment when you realize we all speak dialects, not just <laughs> the people, the rural people. Yep. Um, because it is true. It's worth maybe pointing out that in... Um, for, I don't know if this is true in German, but in Swedish dialect only means geographical variation. And we use like sociolect or something else for all the other ones. But in English, I think dialect refers to all sub-varieties. In German, uh, dialect tends to mm. be tends to be quite um, geographically, it's very, very geographically relevant. And it's, I always think of it as it's much stronger than what the English would consider, say, an accent. Or, or, you know, because there's a few words here and there and there. But if I am going to someone, if, if someone speaks Moselfrankish or someone speaks, like Moselfrankish is where I'm from. If someone speaks to me and I can understand it completely and I can't really speak it that well because my parents stopped talking dialect to me. 
when I went to school, because in school nobody talks dialect, we talk Hochdeutsch, ho, ho, ho. And, uh, <laughs> but like <laughs> Saxon German, if somebody goes full on Saxon or Bavarian or even Hessisch, which is closer to me geographically, I have no clue what's going on and nobody else will. <laughs> you know, you've got to, they are, and I, 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 we did an episode on this, um, should you learn the dialect of a language, or maybe it was a solo episode. And the, the, the thing that really stood out to me was this idea of, like, number one, we all speak dialects. And then the other part was this, the difference, like, when you think, should I learn a dialect, you kind of have to then investigate in the place that you're learning the language off, how strong is the difference between the variety that you're learning and the other variety? And is it worth it and like my advice to German learners is always don't worry yourself too much because we all have to learn Hochdeutsch anyway to talk to each other <laughs> yeah um it, it's interesting so linguists tend to say that the difference between a language and a dialect has to do with mutual intelligibility like if you can fully understand or if you can understand even if you can't really speak um then the two varieties are dialects and if you can't understand then they're mm. um different languages but this brings the philosophical question of what is understanding you know <laughs> can one person ever truly understand another one i i love that our first question to you is language versus dialect because i think that is a language learner's classic definitely <laughs> Well, I think I think it's interesting that so, so linguists make all these classifications, right? And there's two big catalogs that you can look things up in. There's ethnologue and there's glottologue. And they both actually make quite similar definitions. So they do say that they would prefer mutual intelligibility measurements, but for most varieties you can't get a hold of that. There's seven thousand languages in the world and um no one is so far willing to found a project that pairs them all up. <laughs> and does um, experimental testing on mutual intelligibility. But no one is funding that so far. But if you know someone at mm -hmm. Volkswagen or the ARC, um, that'd be lovely. <laughs> um, so, so the second best thing is to check word lists and see how many words are in common. Um, and people put sort of thresholds about between 60 or maybe 80% of certain word lists. If they are similar, then they are dialects. And if they are different, then they are languages. Yeah. But but it is really tricky, and some of those classifications definitely go against what speakers um, or what political bodies define. So, for example, the various German varieties, I think in ethnologue, there's more distinctions than some people would want there to be, and there's less distinctions than some other would want it to be. Um, and it gets political yes. real fast. Yeah, don't they say that uh, the difference between a language and a dialect is that... Uh, a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's um, yeah. Weinreich, I think it is. And then there's uh, there's the updated version. I like that one too. Um, <laughs> a language is a dialect with a Bible and a missionary. With a, no, it's a, a language is a dialect with a missionary uh. and a dictionary. <laughs> I love that yes. one. Yes. Um, that one is Cedric uh, mm. Lupke and um, someone else's name I forget right now. Uh, Leven, I think it um but uh, what was I going to say, dialect language? Oh, there's a, a great research project outside, out of um, Denmark. There's um, a woman there called Charlotte Hoskins who got money from the EU to do a mutual intelligibility test of a number of major languages of Europe. So they had um, Swedish, Danish, Norwegian, Icelandic, I think, uh, French, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, and English, 
uh, German, and they also had a bunch of Slavic, so Russian, uh, Polish, I think Ukrainian. Um, and they got people to do these tests to see how much they could understand. Mm. Uh, and one of the things that came out of it was that uh, Italian speakers and um, Spanish speakers actually get on really well without an interpreter. Mm. Mm. I was reading an article recently about how there's this one island where they speak 50 languages and it's a small population. No, nine languages and 500 people, something like that. You might have seen this one. And what they do is everybody just speaks their own language. They don't try to speak anybody else's language. Everybody just understands. It's called Mm. receptive multilingualism. And uh, I rely on it quite heavily when I'm speaking with people who speak different (laughs) languages. (laughs) Yeah. I just kind of speak English with the French that I know, and uh, they speak French with the English they know, and we just kind of hack it out. Yeah, it works. (laughs) Yeah. I think this leads nicely actually into the second question, which is from Sam Grigg. Are there common language learning stages or content across all languages? For example, grammar or concepts or vocabulary needed for specific levels or stages, or is it completely unique to the language and or learner? Gosh, I think it's unique to the um, so, so there's a great paper that I uh, always talk about and everyone's sick of me talking about it. But it's a, a research paper from 2006 or five called The Consequences of Talking to Strangers. Um, and in it, they talk about sort of the evolution of language and what writing has done to language and the uh, analytic capabilities of language. But there's a bit in it when they talk about language learning and especially about two sort of different methods that people can do it so one is sort of analytical which is um what we talked about earlier about like figuring out the article system and if the gender and the number in german for example you sit down you look at a paradigm and you try and internalize it and you try and practice it and then there's the other kind where people just teach you chunks of useful things Hmm. um, and you get taught full phrases instead Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of places in the world where people are heavy multilingual, for example, in, in PNG, in Papua New Guinea, where this is the way you learn. So you come to a new village and people people tell you, um, you know, this is the word for, um, this is the phrase for, have you got fire for the tobacco? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you learn that full phrase. And then you learn another useful phrase. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. how you move on. That's really interesting to to think of of that way and I think you sort of we often hear this like we heard or we hear the not myth but the mythicized versions of that I guess which is like one of the classic language one of the language learning tropes is if you want to learn a language just move to that country that annoys me so much and it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's roll eyes, everybody's eyes. <laughs> but you hear it a lot. And what you're saying there is kind of like, okay, I, you can, that's the grain of truth that's behind what, what really has become a lie. But you need to have both. Mm. I, I mean, you, what you've got, you, there are a few things you need. First of all, you need to have a lot of input. And the input that you hear will give you things that you can sort of bust out and say. Mm-hmm. But of course, you can't learn a whole language that way because most sentences are never, ever heard and they're only invented. They're one-offs. They will never be said again. So that's why you need the grammar. Mm. The input gives you things that you can say because you've heard them. But then learning the grammar helps you to extend that to say things that you haven't heard and don't know. Mm, that's fascinating. Hmm. And to then try it yourself and go for yeah. the output. 
once you put it together. Which doesn't yeah. always work because I've, in my Spanish speaking career, I've said lots of things <laughs> that sounded great according to my understanding of the grammar, which <laughs> Spanish speakers look at me and they say, oh, I see what you're trying to do, but we don't say that. It's so odd because I, we, you know, we often get like, learn naturally like children and people assume that children, you know, I don't know, receive a lot and then get things right. But there's something I saw my nephew do, um, who's eight. No, hang on, it was the five-year-old this weekend. And that just so stood out to me because in, in German has obviously like everywhere has like irregular this and irregular that. And he wanted to say, I wrote this. So it's, ich habe das geschrieben. And he goes, ich habe das. And then paused really for like, he paused for a good five seconds and just kind of looked really thoughtful. And I was like, what is, what, what is coming? What is coming? And then he says, geschreibt, which would have been the regular way of doing this. Ah, uh, yeah. And I thought, oh, wow. So he, like, and that's the analytical aspect that we get from that input, right? It's this sort of, okay, he has, he's worked out the pattern. No one had to tell him the pattern because he's had that much exposure. But he still will, he, he still will try and apply the pattern and be unsure. And then eventually he, like, has to say something. And the, the difference perhaps is that he's, five years old so he don't he just don't care if he gets it wrong he doesn't then imply imply from that that he can't speak german which which many people i think in adult age do so i have but we have more questions for you so i guess i'll 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 go through one more here is one okay i'm going to read it out to you because i didn't understand what what this question it, it just sounds so smart i don't know what 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 any of this means <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're allowed to say like next because basically I, I replied this is on Instagram from Farzad uh, Farzad F and he asks do we do reduction in defining relative clauses and non-defining relative clauses the same way wait yes we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you kindly <laughs> okay so for example, the man who I saw was eating brownies. Okay. Um, yeah. But the uh, now, what do we mean by reduced relative clauses? So this is um, the man eating brownies. Yes, the man eating brownies, which, which is not a relative clause, but no, but it is reduced. So in, yeah, instead of. So, so the question is asking. Uh... So, there's a lot of different ways of doing relative clauses in the world's languages. There's uh, a couple of World Atlas of Language Structures chapters on this and some other papers. But basically, a lot of languages vary in whether or not you need to have a pronoun in the relative clause and where it is and how it refers to the head noun. Um, so, the man and um, whom I saw he was eating or whether or not you need that one or not and then languages can vary in um, they can have a marker for whether or not you switch a subject or not and there's, there's just a lot of little grammatical machinery that you can vary on this um, and I'm not entirely sure how to answer the question best but basically probably not <laughs> okay do we do reduction in relative clauses and not defining and non-defining relative clauses the same way probably not probably not <laughs> for example for example there's a lot of languages where adjectives are all verbs so um you don't say that a book is read you say that a book is reading and in those languages sometimes that verb 
that the adjective in, in quotation marks is um, is sometimes in a relative clause. And languages that do that a lot have a different kind of relative clause than languages who don't do that. And there's just there's just a lot. <laughs> That's I, I will move on to the second question because that gets me very excited. <laughs> and I understand what, what – and I think this is a great question. So he asks, while studying local languages – there are always some basic words, such as words equivalent to water, earth, mother, father, that are commonly used in all the languages spoken in that area. What is it? It's common concepts. If we come across a language in the same area yep. that uses different words for the same concepts, can we infer that this language comes from a different family of languages? Yep. That's pretty much how you do it. <laughs> That's pretty much how you do it. That's exactly right. So... People use um, something called basic vocabulary lists. The most famous one were compiled by a name, um, a guy named Swadesh in the 1950s, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he had a hundred and a two hundred word list. The first lists were a bit problematic because they contained things like um, ice and snow, which, um, for example, I work in mm -hmm. Polynesia in Samoa. People <laughs> do not have a word for snow. <laughs> it's not very informative to ask them about it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me when someone handed me something to edit and they made the analogy of, like, pushing your sled through the snow. And I said, you realise that there's, like, entire <laughs> continents like mine where I have no idea what a sled is. And they went, oh, okay. And I said, how about we move through the grass instead, you know, and how the grass passes. Oh, I get it. They said, oh, yeah, everyone's got lawn. You know, sure, done. Um, and, and a couple of years ago, actually, in Samoa, in, in the Pacific, um, there was a touring circus. And they had lots of attractions, acrobats and animals and stuff. And one of the attractions was snow. Wow. You could come and see snow. They had a little snow machine and they produced some snow <laughs> and people could come and touch it because people have TVs and they watch MTV and they watch, you know, Fox News and whatever. And they see snow on TV, but they've never touched it. So like you could go and pay money and touch snow. You see, here in Australia, we just stick our hand in the freezer and go, whoa. Right. <laughs> Frozen pie. I'll have that for dinner. <laughs> I would totally go to a snow circus. I would totally go yeah. to that. So um, these basic vocabulary lists uh, vary a bit. They can go up from 100 to about 400 words. Um, and just as the question asker said, you sort of assume that if enough of these are similar, then the languages are related. Um, that works very well in most circumstances. And that's indeed what the um, historical linguistics comparative method does. Um, and you try and find regularities in how these words are related. So uh, let's take a good one. Uh, what's the name for uh, father in German? Vater. Uh, and what's the name for father in Latin? It's Pater, yep. Yes. So in Indo-European, you get uh, a correspondence between P and F. Mm -hmm. So those words are related, um, and these are called... Uh, regular sound correspondences and so that's historical linguists do all day they look at these basic vocabulary lists and they find out correspondences and they try and group languages and then they find another historical linguist who's done a different grouping and then they have a big fight um, <laughs> <laughs> but um there's some other bits and bobs to language as well isn't there there's uh, sound systems and how they work there's grammar um there's other things to to language besides words um, but for a long time, linguistics has mainly used these basic vocabulary lists to determine heritage. However, every now and then there's a language that just like has borrowed half of its basic vocabulary from the neighboring language just for fun um, uh, or just for 
you know, mm -hmm. horrible reasons like war or trade, asymmetrical trade or... Or just neighbours, right? Like in Welsh, you can use an awful lot of English or you hear a lot of English just code switch one word and then go back into Welsh and it's often because the speaker might just either it's it's one of those words like just that you can just so easily express in English and so quickly and it's so convenient uh -huh. or it's just perhaps it's somebody learning and they don't know that particular word so they'll switch that one to English but that doesn't mean Welsh and English are the same yeah family but it, it, so I think this if you go to that specific word list you you have a certain, you've got like a map, you've got a guide of what to actually pay attention to. That's really good. That's mm. interesting. Um, there's, so the idea is uh, that these lists should be containing words that are as slowly changing as possible. Um, so for example, pragmatic things tend to be borrowed quite easily. So just and okay and things like that get borrowed um, or people believe that they get borrowed more easily. Um, there's a number of various linguistics research projects looking at this. Um, there is the loan words database that tries and find borrowed words. Um, there's the clicks, the cross linguistics. Uh, no, I've forgotten what click stands for. But um, if you want, I can send you a bunch of links to various databases that does this. <laughs> it's the short Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's all going in the show notes. It's all going in the show notes. But that is... That is a fair assumption, though. If you're talking about basic vocabulary like blood or family, well, not even family relations. Well, sometimes. Not mama and papa words, because those are similar for different reasons. But if mm -hmm. you're looking at things like dirt and rocks and, and things that everybody has, that's a pretty good assumption that those things will change more slowly. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah. That, that's at least the idea. Um, for a while, people even had the idea that you could date these, that all languages changed at the same speed mm. and that all basic vocabulary words changed at the same speed. And this was known as glottochronology. Mm. Um, and uh, it was used for a long time to sort of date language relationships and families. But it was spectacularly failed when um, the age of Icelandic was uh, dramatically miscalculated with this method and and there was a big conference where a bunch of linguists got together and said from here on we don't do dates we we no longer will date thing that makes for very quiet saturday nights i gotta tell you <laughs> do you think that the dating that they had was fair for indo-european languages but maybe not languages elsewhere well the language that they got wrong is icelandic which is indo-european so yeah. yeah, it still gives us some. Yeah. But you can't. Uh, yeah, I mean the problem with with glottochronology is that um, if something stays the same, that doesn't tell you much. If they change, then it does. So it's still an interesting way of getting some ideas of where to go, getting some hypotheses about language relatedness. But yeah, don't rely on it too heavily. And Iceland is so isolated uh, geographically that you can maybe see it from that angle as well. It just doesn't have as much contact. And also, it's been settled three times, mm. uh, if I remember correctly. So I, I don't know why the Vikings insisted so much, but they sent two delegations that basically all died. There's got to be some trees here somewhere. <laughs> Third one was the charm somehow. I don't really know why, but repeated settlement does weird things to language dating as well. Because do you, yeah, there might have been some people staying over from the first one, but mm. yeah. 
I have a I have mm. another question mm. for you that is mm. not a linguistic question. It's a question as a fellow podcaster. Oh boy. Mm. And I think that's interesting. So um Lindsay, you'll remember that we did once a, a tiny special episode. We we sort of put out a statement almost on Brexit. Do you remember? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we tend to, as a show, I think both of us are quite hesitant to go political as such. I think it's very clear. <laughs> mm. I mean, I, I, me slightly less. That's not us. <laughs> no, that's, that's not us. <laughs> that's not us. Yes. So this is my question. Are you ever worried when going political or do you assume that your audience will, and, you know, like, do you consider, well, some people in the audience may not agree with this and they may not like this or you know like where where do you stand on this on the side of po being political because i love the way i love the way you have a genuine reasonable way of relating it to your topic which is language and often you, there, there's certain things that you can't talk about uh without without bringing politics into it because like we said earlier language dialect politics missionaries blah 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 you know so where do you where do you stand on that do you ever feel like oh no i've got to hold back on my opinion on donald trump or whatever or do you think it all hangs together i don't think we <laughs> i don't think we ever hold back on anything we've had shows where we just f all the way through we discuss the c word i i don't want to drop it on your show but on my show be like yeah sure let's go for it talk about how it is a universal thing we've all got one well most people so why why not discuss it and you know it's 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 a it's a word in language so why not yeah so, uh, i'll let daniel jump in on this one but i, I will mention one comment that we got on Facebook, which was just full of hilarity. So, Daniel, you take it away and I'll throw something in. And, and you, Hedwig, take it away and I'll throw something we, in. We did cop a bad review on Facebook once because somebody didn't like our politics, um, mm. which is stupid because politics come from values. And when you say don't have your politics or don't express politics, it's like saying, oh, don't have those values, have different values or, you know, have your values, but don't express them. We are pretty unapologetic about making our show political because language is political and it's a mistake to say that it's not. The reason why people use the languages they do is often a political thing. We talk about new words and that frequently comes from the political sphere. But also, if you're not willing to stand up for trans people or LGBT language, which shouldn't be a political issue, but unfortunately in our age it is, then, you know, what are we doing? You know, why aren't we, as long as, as long as kindness is your guide, as long as you're coming at it from a place of inclusion, then I, I don't think you can annoy too many people, but we do. And those people can just off and not listen to our show because I really don't want them to <laughs> like that one bad review. I really don't. I'm so glad that guy hates our show. Because, yeah, I like like people said, like, what what did FDR say to the conservatives that hated him? He said, I welcome your hatred. Mm. I feel like I got a responsibility to pass the mic. We're going to be doing a whole bracket of shows about the Noongar language, the uh, the Aboriginal language that is local to, to Perth. Well, one of them. And um, we're going to be handing the mic to people of color. We're going to be handing the mic 
to women. We're going to be handing the mic to, we're hoping to cover lavender linguistics, which is sort of like the language that people use in the LGBTQI asterisk community. You know, I feel this very keenly as a white guy. Mm -hmm. I know I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but as a, as a white, straight, cis dude, I feel very strongly that it shouldn't just be my voice on the air, that other people have other experiences that I can't imagine. That's going to come out in language. And if I can include those people, it's going to be a much better show. Yeah. And I also feel like we don't get into those areas when it's not relevant to the topic we're actually discussing. Like inclusion matters because we're talking about language, which people use to define their communities and themselves. And it doesn't make sense to sort of talk in a sort of entirely objective vacuum about that. Mm. Does that does that make sense to you? Like we, we don't talk like there are other politics that we could be talking about that we don't. Mm. Can't think of a good example right now. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> Uh, well, everything's related to society and therefore, therefore to language. But I don't know. Um, we don't talk much about, well, have we ever talked about salaries? No, we probably have. <laughs> I don't, I don't we think don't talk so. about taxation very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about taxation or foreign trade mm -hmm. policies very much. Yeah, international relations doesn't really come up unless it's the time when Google put a certain name for something on a disputed territory, something like that. Then we talk oh, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, being Swedish and, you know, Swedish is a pretty lefty place, um, though not entirely. Um, you, you sort of get taught that, like, the, the politics is personal and personal things are political. Um, like, there's, there's not necessarily a, a divide. Uh, and I know that stresses some people out. And I do think that there is some sort of divide, like what I do in my bedroom with my partner, hopefully, I don't need to discuss with the rest of the world. Um, and it can go it can go too far. There are sort of very strong Marxists who do believe that what I do in the bedroom with my partner is of national concern. <laughs> well, arguably, if your partner was a woman, you'd be did would be a different story though, right? Indeed. So for some people, some people don't have the privilege, uh, like I do, to to do set that boundary and have it respected most of the time. Um, but I do think that is that that language is something very personal and also something very political. So I do think it it sort of it's mm. natural that it comes up. It's where the personal becomes public, and that's mm. where politics. Oh, sits. that's what you say, public. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to throw something in. Um, we are a public. Uh, we are broadcasted on public radio, so we are constrained to a certain amount by what is expected in terms of radio content. So we try not to defame people. We, we follow the rules and regulations of community radio, which I think are excellent rules. And certainly the Internet in general can adhere to these kinds of rules on occasion. It might help <laughs> them out sometimes. I'm mindful of what I teach my students by Siobhan Mahue, who is a uh, podcasting and radio expert here in Australia. She talks about uh, the internet's long tail effect and how producers of podcasts cater to a market of multitudes. And I believe she's quoting Anderson in that regard. And so you can get podcasts. Podcasts can range from everything. You can have someone who does a monologue for an hour. You can have three people who sit down for 15 minutes, to unpack a topic that just happened on BBC News. And that's it. That's the whole show. If you don't <laughs> like the politics of a particular show, don't tune in. No one's making you. If you prefer not to listen to our radio show, turn to another channel. I know 90, 90 60, 40, 75, 
42 FM is probably playing the latest Shakira. Mm. Go for it. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be an audience. You can always switch off. And that's liberating. It's also powerful because there's so much out there that you can tune in and support mm. if you want to. But ultimately, I think the content of our show, the people who we answer to are our incredibly uh, kind producers and people at our radio station. Um, both Daniel and Hedwig have an amazing amount of research who goes into the show and I jump, generally jump in and <laughs> do F-bombs, I've noticed. Um, and and that's, that's the guiding force. We're guided by the zeitgeist of what's out there. And if you don't want to listen to our show then don't listen to it. No one's making you to, making you do that. And I know RTRFM is kind of a bit of a lefty station, so that does influence things a bit, I think, in terms of our listenership. We might not get the same kind of content if we were on a commercial radio station. I, I don't know quite <laughs> what they would do with us on a commercial radio station, but, hey, give us, <laughs> give us a call, you know. There, there is one thing that I want to just add to this, though. I don't just do Talk the Talk. I also have a spot on Thursday mornings on ABC Radio Perth. And that's a whole other thing. We call it the speakeasy. And uh, the ABC mm. is the nation's broadcaster. So it does get funded by tax dollars, which means that they are very allergic to criticism from right-wing sources. Like there are a lot of right-wing goons who want to throw everything to Sky or Fox and disband the ABC and say, why should people be forced to pay for lefty content, blah, 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 blah. So when I do a thing on ABC, I do tend to hold back a little bit because I don't want to get mm. into a floor fight. This is about language. Let's kind of keep it about language while still retaining all the openness and inclusion that language can do. But for example, I restrain myself from... Ugh, doing things that I would go ahead and do on RTR. Like I don't call Donald Trump uh, U.S. president and Kremlin asset Donald Trump. I don't do that. <laughs> I do, however, say uh, U.S. president Donald Trump, or as I like to call him, individual one. And that's as far as I go on the ABC. <laughs> yeah. Just I, I get a little bit cheeky, but I don't go all the way there. So I do hold back a little bit. I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but that's I decided to take it that way. Decision I made. I, I also know that no matter what you say, particularly, um, you know, majority of us here are women. Um, many of us come from, you know, non-English speaking backgrounds. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, someone's going to complain anyway. Let's face it. So, yeah, disgusted from Dal Keats going to write in and say, that Daniel's got an American accent. Why does he think he can speak English? He's not speaking the language <laughs> <laughs> Get him off the airwaves. Put someone who speaks English on. You know, he's not speaking English at all. I couldn't understand a thing. Easy even, Daniel. I don't know. Robots taking over the planet. Help. You know, that sort of thing. Oh, Kylie. I was I was really hoping you were going to bust out disgusted from Dalkey. <laughs> <laughs> Regular feature on the show. I don't like anything. I don't like anything. What are you doing to the language? Put it back. Don't touch it. You're getting it dirty. <laughs> it's real it happens yeah <laughs> terrible language attitudes really harm people and we're in a position to help 
Yeah, and you've got to realise realize that we're all human too. We're going to disappoint people in one way or another. We're going to make mistakes one way or another. We're not going to do the best job. Something new is going to turn up around the horizon that wipes the floor clean and suddenly all of our thesis has gone out the window. So, yeah, roll with the punches and just there you go. do the best that you can. That's it. And you make such a good point about yeah. podcasts and the variety in podcasting. And, you, you know, like if you because that's what I value about podcasts as well. I always feel like I can be in the room in so many conversations that I couldn't have possibly ever joined. <laughs> you know, like in to the extent where you can listen to people having conversations that they would not be having if you were in the room. It, it can get weird. So I listen to a lot of Swedish podcasts, for example, by comedians. And sometimes they talk to the same comedians every week and they get into a little bubble and they forget that people are listening and they say really outrageous, hurtful things within their little comedian genre jargon bubble. Um, for example, there was one who got in a lot of trouble mm. a couple of years ago for um, he was a bit drunk on the show and he, he said a very rude thing about a review he had gotten. Um, in fact, it was quite violent and involved. Um, um, how do you say uh, a, an axe like you chop wood with an axe <laughs> oh, dear. Call an axe yeah mm. anyway it was quite violent but he meant it he 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 was under the impression that he was sitting in a room talking to his mate mm-hmm. you know and they had done this for so many years i think that he had sort of forgotten that he was actually being recorded and publicly broadcasted um and i think that's that I don't think we're in that space. I don't think you guys are in that space. But I do think there are some podcasts out there that sort of get a little bit forgetful about the fact that they are actually publicly broadcasted. Um, And there's something weird as well about, I don't know if you get this, but I listen to a lot of podcasts that are sort of friendly people chatting. And I feel like they're my friends. They're not my friends. (laughs) (laughs) I've never met them. They don't know my name. Um... Maybe this is just me being the, the weird, lonely Sweden Australian listening to Swedish people having a lovely conversation and therefore feeling a bit weird. But I, I do feel like there's, there's a responsibility on the part of the broadcasters to sort of negotiate and not get too intimate. Mm, interesting. Does that make sense? Hmm. It's certainly something I always remind my students that uh, they have to realize that there are uh, ramifications for what they do. And it can range from someone suing them because they thought it was okay to use a copyrighted song. So don't do that. You know, avoid avoid it as best you can or pay the artist and get yourself a, a nice song. Mm-hmm. Plug for our trees. Um, <laughs> or, uh, as, as you pointed out yourself, uh, you can mouth off and next thing you know you're going to have someone uh, calling you about how you pretty much, uh, yeah, said the wrong thing at the wrong time or misinterpreted or completely, uh, yeah, gave out misinformation about a topic you have to be careful this is broadcasting even though it's online it's not a wild west and the more popular it becomes and the more people pay attention to it and certainly it's moving into the popular media we have uh, a national award for journalism for example given to a podcast here in australia for the first time a walkley award for a show and that indicates that more and more people are knowing about it more Mm. more people downloading it downloading them and it means there's going to be ramifications if you break the yeah and and also it's 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 tricky as well because for example um in a normal um semester not here in the holidays period but like i talk to daniel and kylie practically every week and i've you know we're friends um and it's easy to get carried away with that and i think it's important to sort of remember that listeners aren't listeners aren't your mates 
um, and they might not know everything that Daniel and Kylie knows about me and about what we're talking about. And you have to make things explicit and you have to sort of respect that sort of mm. boundary a bit, I think. Mm. Does that sound very boring? <laughs> no, no, it's it's a vital part of radio as well. They are always the fourth person in the room. You must consider them. You must break it down and realise that, yeah, it's it's us together. And that's just basic good radio. And it's something that podcasters might not consider, but it's it's something that you you have to work on in radio, that sort of personality of bringing people in. Yeah. On that note, Kylie, can you tell the Fluent Show listeners what you actually teach? Because you mentioned that you teach and they might assume you, you, you're also teaching linguistics or language. Oh, God, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I'm just comic relief on the show most of the time. Ben's the one who has an amazing talent for ad lib and for jumping in with big ideas and fascinating opinions. And, um, yeah, I, I teach radio of all things. And it was, in fact, the work that I did with RTRFM uh, originally as a producer for shows, listening into Talk the Talk. Um, it's it's fascinating. As a producer, we would often find the entire office would be sitting with our ears uh, tilted to the ceiling, listening into the Talk the Talk show rather than getting our work done. So I thought, one of these days I'd love to get on. <laughs> <that show."> um, <laughs> and that led to, um, I was a podcaster before then, just doing a show called Token Skeptic, and it kind of very slowly led to my doing a PhD on the topic, and that's what I do. I teach introductory radio broadcasting, delving in the lessons I learnt as an amateur podcaster and then a community radio broadcaster and then, yeah, into a into a study on education and podcasting in general. Amazing. Thank you. It, it, yeah, I do wacky things. I've also got a philosophy background, blah, blah, blah. It's, I'm, I'm a very strange person. So I'm very glad that they managed to get me in on linguistics podcasts. It's just like, well, look at another wacky thing I'm up to. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lindsay, you got anything else? No, that's my questions. All, all, all done. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This was fun. It's lots of fun. Thank you. Thank you. I can honestly say your, your show is much of an inspiration. It's nice to see other, I don't know, other, we approach this, uh, we approach language and linguistics in a lighthearted way shows out there. And you're, you're miles ahead of us most of the time on, on research. And it's just so, so lovely to enjoy. So if, listeners of the fluent show have never listened to talk the talk would you give them a quick intro to where to find talk the talk probably the best place to find us is on our website talkthetalkpodcast.com you can listen to individual episodes or it'll tell you where you can subscribe we're on itunes stitcher uh, player all of the major places google play we're uh, working on getting on spotify and so that's probably the best place. You can also like us on Facebook, where we are, facebook.com slash talkthetalkpodcast. We are on Instagram, talkthetalkpodcast. And on Twitter, we are talkpod. Yeah, and you can also tune in live on rtrfm.com.au, which is something we say every week. So, yeah, you can hear us live and, and chat to us live if you want. Or you can go to that, um, you can go to the RTR FM website, or you can go to that site I mentioned earlier called Radio Garden. Um, but then you have to figure out what mm. time zone you're in and what time zone we're in uh, and, and things like that. But that shouldn't be too hard. I, I bet your listeners are competent enough to figure out time zones. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, that's all our questions to you. And it's it's been such a joy having you. So thank you so much to the Talk the Talk podcast thank you very much 
Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye from Lindsay. Adios. And it's goodbye from Hedvig. Tofa soy fua. From Kylie. Churro, folks. See ya. Okay. And from Daniel from Talk the Talk. Au revoir. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. Don't forget that you can send us your comments and questions to be answered on the show to Kirsten, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you. We read every message. Don't forget to review us. See you next week.